0: From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn.
1: Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I am Gary Gramling. He is Andy Benoit. We have two division previews left to go, and then no more until like 2021. Uh, <laughs> but we are uh, we are doing AFC North this week. Uh, I don't know. That's I think that's the extent of my intro, Andy. I, I'm just flat out stating the division we're going to do, and then we're going to do it. It's
2: very good. You know, the AFC North, Baltimore won it handily last year, and I've been going through and just kind of reviewing all these teams from last season, the film notes, that's what I do this time of year, and I'm looking at the Ravens, one thing I do is just kind of check where everybody ranked on everything, and that doesn't tell you the the whole story, certainly, but Baltimore's offense ranked first in, in points, second in yards, and their defense was third in points and fourth in yards. I, I'm sure it's happened before. Uh, I, it's probably happens every several years. It's not often, though, a, a team ranking top, basically top three
1: in both on both sides of the ball. You know, I was actually, uh, on top of that, I was looking at Football Outsiders' uh, pressure metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me bring this up because I want to make sure I have it exactly right here. But, uh, you know, you look at this. Um, you look at this Ravens roster, and it's like, okay, well, there's not uh, there's not a ton of talent on the edge. They don't have Khalil Mack here. Uh, they ranked the, 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 the first. That's that's the top. Number one is the highest yep. you can be in uh, in adjusted pressure. So, uh, yeah, they got it. They got it done last year. Well, if I recall,
2: because reading the Football Outsiders Almanac has become part of my review process as well. I think Aaron Schatz and those guys do a tremendous job. So I read what you read. If I recall, Baltimore was like middle of the pack in sacks or actual bottom line productivity on the the pressure, the pass rush, but they got pressure so often, their pass defense ranks very high. One thing you see often with teams that blitz a lot because Baltimore led the league in blitzes. They were first in number of five- and six-man rushes. They were 32nd in number of four-man rushes, so they they pretty much blitz or bring designer pressure more than they don't, or it's about an even split. When you get defenses like that, a lot of times you get a lot of pressure and a lot of incompletions, not necessarily sacks so Mm -hmm. much and that, that was the old Rex Ryan philosophy remember those Jets defenses when, when the when the Jets were going to the AFC Championship, Darrell Revis was at his height, they didn't have blazing, amazing sack numbers, but their opponent's completion percentage was always around 50, so I, I want to say it was below that at times, because a blitz, the idea of the blitz more than to generate the sack, you'll take that, that's the best case scenario, but really you're trying to get the quarterback to play fast and when a quarterback plays fast, he throws the ball faster. That's what quarterbacks do. So it's presenting the pressure and rushing the QB and these blitzing defenses. Really, it's about incompletions more than sacks with the really good ones, which is part of the reason Baltimore has some high level corners as well. You want guys covering one on one against those quick
1: passes that just add to the cause. Yeah, they also defensively, if we could just, uh, I, I love how we're just starting the show saying that the 14-2 and two team was good last year. Uh, they only had 17 takeaways in 2018. Uh, like you mentioned, when you generate that pressure, it's incompletions, it's mistakes by the offense. You, you generally get a few more takeaways that way too. So they ranked, uh, they ranked tied for 22nd in 2018 and they moved all the way up to tied for 7th last year. So they, uh, yeah, they got some things done.
2: Yeah, there you go. And, you know, the Marcus Peters trade midseason because he was involved in a few of those takeaways. He, he's a, he's become a really good corner. I thought that was a turning point for Baltimore because it was obvious they're committing to man-to-man coverage. For years they've been kind of a fire zone defense where you're playing zone coverage but only six guys back in coverage instead of the usual seven. You don't see fire zone a whole lot because zones become bigger if there are only six defenders instead of seven. So What naturally happens with, with fire zones because they have become more popular in the league in the last few years, but they take on the form of man-to-man coverage. If you have only six guys back in zone, the zones are so big, so you might as well match up to the guy who comes into your zone because otherwise there's just too much space for the offense to use. So what Baltimore's done is basically transmorgify into this man-to-man defense. They start with fire zone. They do a lot of unique and, and unusual matchup designs from it, and they realize our corners are great. That's the strength of our team. Let's just keep it a little simpler on ourselves and play straight man coverage. And I didn't think Peters would fit their style of play to be perfectly frank. I didn't think he was the, he's not the most disciplined cornerback in terms of fundamentals. He's really much kind of a street baller type, a feel player. He's not It's not Kyle Fuller of the Bears who's teach tape technique every snap. Um, and so I, I didn't know if Peters would do well in a scheme that asked him to play a lot of straight man like that or certainly matchup zone man coverages. Uh, because he likes to have his eyes on the QB, but I, I was wrong. I was, and I would love to know exactly how they worked with him midseason. Marcus Peters
1: was phenomenal for them last year. So when you're looking at that defense, and we'll start with that side of the ball. We already did start. We'll just continue. Yeah, we're, on that we are side of the ball well this into point. the
2: show here. You're, you're trying to bring we're, us
1: back to the <laughs> intro. I took the show and just moved. You say you didn't have an intro, so all right, well let's just go then. <laughs> I know. I brought this on myself. So if you look at this defense, look, they fortified the defensive line. They bring in Calais Campbell. They uh, bring in Derek Wolfe. The linebackers you'd look at, it's going to be the top three on the depth chart are all new guys. Uh, Two rookies. you got the first-round pick Patrick Queen, the third-round pick Malik Harrison, LJ Fort, a uh, free agent they brought in. is probably the number three guy at this point. But uh, in your mind, how problematic is it to have – New and young linebackers in this Wink-Martindale defense. Is this something to worry about? It, it, it gets your attention because it, there is some demands on the
2: linebackers. You have to be able to do a lot of things besides play the run. And, you know, that's a fairly standard approach from team to team. Your run gaps are kind of your run gaps. And I think these guys will do very well because Derek Wolf, Brandon Williams, the only returning every down player, pretty much. And then Calais Campbell, that might be the best three-man run-stopping tandem in the NFL. They're going to work great for what Baltimore does. So these linebackers will have some freedom with playing the run. I think they'll they'll be clean of blockers pretty often. So when you get into the pass defense part of it, when you're a blitz-oriented team and you're built on disguises and you do still do fire zone, even though you're doing more man coverage, you're still going to play your fire zone stuff. Now you have linebackers that have to be able to rush and drop into coverage. And their rush is not just, hey, go get the quarterback. Baltimore's rushes on blitzes are highly schemed. You start out in one gap, but you blitz to the other gap. Other guys are crisscrossing. There's a lot to read there. So it's a tall order for these rookies. Now, I I don't know if I've said on this podcast or not, I'm a big, big fan of Baltimore's linebacker coach, Mike McDonald. And, you know, the defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, used to be the linebacker's coach. And I do think that matters sometimes. That that, Martindale's going to understand how to help his rookie linebackers more than another defensive coordinator might. So you have that going for you. Patrick Queen's a first-round pick. Obviously, they feel he's very talented. Talent means something in the NFL. I don't know. Do you know much about Malik Harrison? I don't remember what the book on him is. The Uh, out-of-Ohio State third-round pick.
1: Yeah, he's probably a guy who doesn't stay on the field in passing situations. Oh, uh, uh, he's a thumper? Yeah, yes, very much so.
2: Which is fine, because Baltimore only put – last season they only put one linebacker on the field. They played a ton of dime defense. So they, they'll they put a third safety out there, and I'm looking who their safeties are, because Chuck Clark's now the starter now that uh, – that tony jefferson's off the team and clark became the starter last year when jefferson got hurt but it's you want to know who that third safety is it's either going to be anthony levine or uh deshaun elliott who was looking pretty good before he got hurt last year that third safety basically plays linebacker is what i'm getting at that guy and and sometimes clark becomes a linebacker in this scenario but they're going to play dime put a, a safety at linebacker more speed on the field Coverage, flexibility, all that stuff. So they don't need a ton of, of of linebacking depth. And if they do have to go to somebody, you know, LJ Fort, quietly Gary, he's been a really good solid backup linebacker in the NFL for a long not, not, not a long time, but the last several years. He was he's been a good player for the Steelers and, and then last season Philadelphia and, and Baltimore.
1: Let's uh talk offense side of the ball. I'll just leave it very uh very vague in general here for you, Andy. Is there any real concern about this offense uh, being sustainable going forward?
2: Uh, yes and no. The yes part in that I don't think you can count on defenses being caught as off guard and flat footed against your run designs as they were a year ago. One thing that was interesting with Baltimore, and it's, it was one of the greatest running games of all time, statistically it was the greatest of all time, so do not take this at all as a significant negative but you did notice they were much it felt like they were more effective early in games and late in games sometimes with their scheming Baltimore puts a lot of moving pieces in front of you a lot of pull blockers a lot of motion I think 70% of their their run plays had some kind of motion at the snap so not only are you shifting and moving guys but when the ball's being snapped you're doing that That's extremely difficult to deal with on run plays because it changes everyone's gap assignment on the fly. And then, of course, the guy holding the ball and orchestrating all of this once the ball snapped is Lamar Jackson, and that presents a lot of problems as well. So it's still going to be a top three running game no matter what. Um, Can you count on it getting 206 yards a game like it did a year ago? I don't know if any team should go into a season relying on that. So then the question is, all right, well, what, what about the passing game and where does that stand? One thing I really have I, I like a lot about Lamar Jackson, Gary, is that he's a quarterback first. If anybody could get away with being just a run-oriented mobile guy, you'd think it'd be him. He's always been able to run away from people. Even now that he's in the NFL, he can run away from people. It's remarkable he's developed as much discipline as he has to remain a passer because their passing game is extremely well-designed as well, especially when they get into the high reds zone area. And Jackson had a ton of TDs from the pocket last year. He does not break himself down and scramble very much. He needs to get a little bit quicker and spot at reading the field, which is to be expected for a guy of his age. And I think he's ahead of where most guys would be in their, their careers if they were playing as much as he's played. So there's, there's optimism for their passing game being better than it was a year ago. One thing that gives me concern is Hayden Hurst was not a difference maker in and of himself, but most defenses treated him as their number one tight end, even though Mark Andrews is probably the guy we all would agree is their most, their, their best receiving tight end. Certainly yeah. Hurst, Hurst drew a lot of unique attention and Baltimore is able to throw the ball out of two tight end and especially three tight end formations because of Hurst. They they're down that guy. So now they don't have the same kind of tight end depth as last year. They'll have to ask more of their wide receivers, which means a little bit less
1: creativity in some spots in your passing game. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, well, since since I didn't do the intro this week, uh, I should remind everyone we are not going by the order of our projected standings here. We are going by order of last year's standings. We will, however, have projections at the end of this show. So uh, Steelers were second place last year, just missed the playoffs. Obviously, had there been a seventh seed in the league, it would have been the Pittsburgh Steelers. But let's start on the offensive side of the ball with them. I mean, look, their receivers were not good last season. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster slid back a little bit. Obviously, it was the first year uh, in forever without Antonio Brown there. Uh, But also quarterback problems. Now you got Ben Roethlisberger back. Do they have to change how they approach this offensively as far as the passing game goes? Do they have to to do something to help these guys out to get open?
2: Well, I think Roethlisberger in his heart of hearts, even though I've argued for years, he's the most evolved quarterback of our time because he started out as as just a a true Sandlot type of QB and he's evolved into this – Pretty shrewd pre-snap guy. That's they like to spread out into empty and let him read the defense before the snap and and make quick decisions right after it. As a as a result, you know that's he's capable of doing that. I still think at his core in his in his bone marrow he is that sandlot QB still, and so he, that will help the receivers. I do think the receivers need to do more to help him. And if they're not capable of that, those wide receivers cannot do that and there's that's a genuine question. You know, James Washington, I know we like him more than we did this time a year ago. Jury's still out. Deontay Johnson, same story. Chase Claypool's a pretty polarizing second round rookie receiver for for draft evaluations coming out. If those guys struggle and they did for more they have more than they haven't, then you've got to do more with the scheme to help get them open you can't line up and have guys play on an island if they can't win on an island your wide receivers have to be able to win if they don't the scheme has to help you and i think bridging those two things is something pittsburgh has been hot and cold with in the last few years roethlisberger lets them get away with that when they went to the backup qbs that got exposed a little bit more it's still something to correct and address. You, you want to be your best version of yourselves and to just spin the ball out there and hope big Ben makes a play. That's that's that can't be
1: enough. That's not enough, especially if Antonio Brown and, and Le'Veon Bell are no longer here. Yeah. Uh, defense side of the ball. Defense obviously is what carried them a year ago. Uh, did they do anything different? What changed when Micah Fitzpatrick came in besides the fact that they just added a, a better player to the secondary? Well, they added a better player
2: in a spot that has a lot of trickle-down effect. Because when when you're better at safety, he's more instinctive. He has a chance to react to more plays than other, than other safeties had been for them. And I think that does make other guys around him that much better. And offenses are more aware of the free safety. So that's you know that's that's a little bit of a factor there. Um, there was this idea that Fitzpatrick was very interchangeable initially. Oh, he played down in the box. He played back deep. He's That linebacker, we heard about that. That's the nature of the scheme. Every safety does that in almost every scheme in the NFL, and especially one like Pittsburgh's where they're they're similar to Baltimore in that it's going to be fire zone pressure as they're kind of their third down foundation. They don't just line up and, and keep it in front of them. They, they are attack-minded very often as a defense, um, so having a safety like that just makes you that much better, and all those things. The guys, there were two guys here that I thought were, were really important for how this secondary evolved. One is Terrell Edmonds got better; he's room mm-hmm. to grow still, but he became he he took a nice step forward in year two. And the guy that no one talked about was Joe Hayden last year. Joe Hayden to me was one of the ten best cornerbacks in the NFL, and I I don't know what his advanced stats say. I want to say they did not reflect that. I've watched every snap he's he's taken. I've watched all the big plays. I've talked to other coaches that, that faced him. Joe Hayden had a phenomenal season. He's not a shutdown perfect corner, but he was a big play corner a year ago and having Hayden improve with Fitzpatrick, that's that's those are two all pro level talents almost. Certainly Pro Bowl level talents.
1: Yeah, I mean, Hayden's been sort of overlooked for quite a while now. I, I feel like he's he's never really in that conversation uh, for, for being an all-pro guy or anything like that. Uh, second team, obviously. I, I don't know if that affects people's uh, thoughts on him. Uh, the cornerbacking group, I don't know. Like you said, Hayden, underappreciated, really good player. After that, you just go down the line. You know, Mike Hilton, effective blitzer out of the out of the uh, slot. Steven Nelson. Uh, I mean, Steven Nelson is one of those guys where it's it, it feels like he can be a little bit feast or famine with a yeah. streaky uh, number yep. two cornerback. Uh, he then, he was know, streaky in the right
2: direction a lot last year, though. He yep. was better than he was as a chief. I was, which would make me wrong about him. I thought that'd be a problem. I didn't like him very much in Kansas City, to be honest. But he played very well outside for them. Vertical routes on the at the right corner spot is where Nelson's run hot and cold. He was better last year there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and look, they generate pressure here in Pittsburgh. Uh, that was not always the case in Kansas City when he was there. So uh, maybe that gives him a little boost as well.
2: One other thing you mentioned, Mike Hilton. The Steelers are one of the few teams that rotate at the slot cornerback position. I don't. In fact, they might be the only team that does that. Mike Hilton plays. Uh, on possible run situations. So if you're in 11 personnel, three wide receivers, it's first and 10. The Steelers are going to have Mike Hilton on the field because they want his run defense in there. And some of those slot blitzes you bring, those can serve as good run defending tactics depending on the nature of the opponent's run game. So you blitz and you're rushing five, and I guess you're being aggressive, but it's it's a form of run defense as much as anything. In obvious pass situations, for about 10 or 12 snaps a game where it's a third and long type of deal, they were playing Cameron Sutton in the slot quite a bit last year. That surprises me. Hilton's a, uh, I think Hilton's a very good player. Obviously, they feel Sutton's the better coverage guy. But just something to note about the Steelers is they're one of the few teams that rotate at that slot cornerback position they want to be a nickel defense where they have two linebackers on the field, but they they just haven't quite consistently had two linebackers available. And I think I'm looking now, is Mark Barron no longer on their roster? Is he not here this year, or am I missing something? No, he is, he is elsewhere, possibly or, nowhere
1: at this point. He, yeah,
2: I'm going to Google Mark Barron real fast. Because Mark Barron was brought in to be – that, that number two cover linebacker. So he actually yeah. rotates in as well as part of the sub packages. But if Mark Barron is not here and he is a free agent right now, that tells me they're gonna, they're probably going to play Dime again. Bush will be the, the every down linebacker for him, and he's ready for that role, Devin Bush. Um, but they, they don't have a lot of linebacking
1: depth otherwise. All right, let's, uh, let's head out to Cleveland, and we're going to get to Baker Mayfield and all that in, in just a minute here. But... I don't know if we've talked about the Browns defense throughout this entire offseason here, Andy, uh, and then we probably should at some point because they're going to they're going to play like half of these games for the Browns. So (laughs) new defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, comes in. Uh, How is this group going to look different than it did a year ago? Well, Joe
2: Woods, his background's somewhat diverse. Most recently, he's of the 49ers. So that that cover three, fast-paced kind of defense. And I do I do think Cleveland, not, their D-line's not as good as San Francisco's was last year, but I do think they've got enough juice to play that way. If you're going to play cover three and just be a speed-oriented defense, your four-man rush has to get pressure. They feel Miles Garrett can do that, a very violent edge rusher. They probably need a number two edge rusher. Olivier Vernon's still a phenomenal run defender. I don't know if he's quite an edge bender. But then inside, Larry Argonjobi and Sheldon Richardson, that's the, the, that's a plus pass rush inside. Adrian Claiborne's your best guy off the bench. So it's not a dazzling pass rush, but I think it is just good enough to let them at least try to play the way they want to play and, and do some of those 49er type zone coverages, if that's what they indeed do. The concern with the defense is that their linebacker situation is very up in the air, and now Mac Wilson looks like he's going to be out for a long time. He was their only returning starter, and, he, and there was questions about him still coming in. He's a young guy. He's not a natural cover guy necessarily. You can't play cover three if your linebackers can't run and cover. It's not going to work. So the other guy they have that's running this defense, their pass game coordinator on defense, is Jeff Howard who came over from Minnesota with Kevin Stefanski. So Howard's background is in that Mike Zimmer stuff, those split safety looks, cover four, basically, which a lot of times the way, in fact, the way the Niners play cover three, it's not super dissimilar from cover four, suffice it to say the safeties play low and aggressive and they have vertical defense responsibilities kind of near the seams and uh, your corners have to cover one-on-one outside a lot of the time so it's going to be cover three or cover four Gary one of those two I've asked people with the Browns and you know they won't tell me they're not going to they, they, they refuse to tell me what they're going to do this year which wounded me a little bit if I'm rude. being perfectly yeah very rude very rude but you know they probably knew we hadn't done the AFC North podcast yet you never know um, I'll be eager to see what they do and my guess is they're not married to either approach quite yet because they've got questions certainly at linebacker like we touched on they're not very deep at safety so they have questions at safety as well and so it might that might dictate what they wind up doing
1: yeah, it's a it's a it's a thin group there in Cleveland. We'll see what, how they hold up this year. Uh, but offensive side of the ball, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times. Baker Mayfield wasn't really seeing the field with the same kind of clarity last year as he did as a rookie. Uh, what can Kevin Stefanski do to sort of make this uh, a little bit uh, a little bit better, a little bit easier on Baker?
2: Well, statistically, there was an enormous difference in Mayfield when he was passing out of play action versus when he was passing just drop back, which is true of a lot of teams. A lot of teams are going to have better play action numbers because it's kind of the nature of the play action game a little bit. Those passes come on run down, so predictable defense. Predictable defense means you're going to be able to kind of attack downfield a little more because you know where the safeties will be. So some of that's just the nature of things, but I do think Mayfield's one of those QBs who probably is better in a balanced run-oriented system. Even though he came out of Oklahoma, on that spread offense and he slung the ball all over the field and look he can probably do that at times in the NFL but where he's at his best he's probably one of those guys that needs to have a little bit of discipline instilled upon him he probably need to regulate him I'm not at all saying he's a reckless player he was at times last year he needs to be better in that sense Uh, I think he's a, a good quarterback but he probably needs some discipline instilled upon him which is what you do with the system you don't just tell him to take care of the ball you put him in situations call plays that make that a little more conducive and natural. So Stefanski ran a ton of play action in Minnesota. They were one of the only teams that really played out a base personnel more than 11 personnel. So two backs or two tight ends on the field, sometimes both. And it's very clear, Gary, that's what they're going to try to do in Cleveland because they didn't really go after any wide receivers of note this Mm offseason. They did, however, sign Andy Janovich at fullback from Denver, and they, they, you know, Kareem Hunt is back along with Nick Chubb. So they have two backs there. And then they paid big money, really big money, in my opinion, for Austin Hooper. And they did not trade David Njoku, even though he fits every form of the profile of a guy that usually gets traded based on how things have gone so far. They kept him around because they need him to be Irv Smith this year. So they're, they're going to play like Stefanski did with Minnesota and have a simpler offense that starts with the run game. And I think Mayfield
1: will be better for that. All right, let's go to the Bengals uh, rookie quarterback. Short, weird offseason. Uh, you, you know, you look back at 2011, the last time we had sort of a, a, a truncated off season here, a training camp session for these guys, and. Uh, That was Cam Newton's rookie year. That was Andy Dalton's rookie year. And then you had kind of a mixed bag with the uh, locker Gabbert Ponder in between those two. But you did see some quarterbacks have success even with the, uh, with the weird off season in 2011 because of the CBA negotiations. Uh, But the Bengals rookie quarterback weird off season. Uh, I don't know. Is is this built for Joe Burrow to have early success?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, I like the system. It's that, That Titans slash Niners slash Packers slash Rams style of offense. Start with the outside zone, kind of that Brown style of offense, too, a little bit. Start with the run game, make them defend your run game, and then have your pass concepts come off of that. So you you take some pressure off the QB when you play that way. Joe Burrow will see some looks that he's seen before. Now, you know, it's still the NFL, it's still an adjustment. You're going to have to be comfortable playing with your back to the defense at times, turning your back to the defense if you're going to be a play-action offense. I don't know if Burrow. do you know if he did that a lot at LSU? My guess is he probably didn't have to. They were so talented at wide
1: receiver. I bet he
2: lined up in shotgun a lot and just read the
1: field. Is that how he played? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't picture in my mind's eye a whole lot of play-action going on with that LSU offense. So...
2: You know, and every young QB is going to have something to learn. Now, those guys you mentioned in 2011 that worked out well, we don't know if that was anything to do with the lockout or not. I mean, Andy, Andy Dalton went on to have an, a solid career. Cam Newton went on to have a nice career. Jake Locker went on to be nothing, and Christian Ponder went on to be nothing. So even when they had off seasons in other years, they weren't any good. So it's I don't know if that you know that I looked up that 2011 lockout year gear. I'm going to pull up my phone as we're doing this because I texted this with someone. Uh, but I, I wanted to see because I do I do think the the lack of practice time means something this year and these teams that have their staffs coming back, that's a big difference. But when I looked into that twenty eleven lockout year, the numbers really didn't bear that out a whole lot. The teams that were in fact, if anything, some of the teams with new coaching staffs had better success than, than some of the the you know, the teams that had been there before.
1: Mm-hmm. All you right. need to
2: say something while I try to pull up the specifics
1: here on my phone. You need to buy some time. I know. I well, I was hoping you would buy more time because I'm trying to look up LSU's play action rate from last year. Are you? That's uh, awfully specific. They were. Uh, they were relatively high. They were. Um, boy, what, what is this? I, so I'm going off of uh, TeamRankings.com's numbers here. Uh, they were top 25 in play action rate last year. So, all right, there's well, a there's a thing. So. And look, if they're a shotgun offense, sometimes that's just a
2: timing of the play. I mean, I, I, they probably were a play action offense if that was, that's what the numbers say. But there are certain play action concepts, and I don't know if it's more common in college or not, where they're not really running play. It really, we ought to call it run action. If the QB kind of just gives a token fake handoff to the running back, that's not really play action. It's where your run game, it's where the linemen have to be selling the run play for it to truly be
1: play action, in my mind. Okay, so look up I'll, how many
2: times alignment sold those run
1: plays. Can you Google I'll, that one? I'll, um, that. I'll watch, I, I'll watch I, a I, mashup of every play, every snap they ran last year, real quick.
2: I found the the stats. So seven new head coaches in twenty eleven so that year of the lockout. So they didn't have these off-season practices, just same scenarios this year. Five of those seven coaches won more games in 2011 than the previous year's team. So if I was a new head coach for the Panthers, I won more games with the Panthers in 2011 than the 2010 Panthers. So the teams that hired Mm -hmm. new coaches got better. Uh, Four of them won at least four more games than the previous year's team, which I'd say that's a huge, significant increase. And then four of the seven new head coaches started three or three or better early in the season. So if we're just reducing this to wins and losses, which is probably oversimplifying, but probably not, because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing is wins and losses. You know, the teams that had new coaches last year, or last time we saw a season with no offseason, it really didn't reflect negatively in the win-loss record.
1: Yeah, I will say, if I could just call you out yes uh, which which is what i love to do uh i i would think most new coaches have a better record than the previous year because the the guy got fired for having a bad record most most likely
2: so the the better stat then would be what percent of coaches in their first year have a better record than the previous year's team and then we have to relate it to that yeah yeah which that sounds like a That's, Ryan Taylor project to me. That's, I don't want to do all that work, but Ryan I, does do these
1: things when we mention these casually on the podcast. We can. I feel like we're kind of manipulating the poor guy. I was just going to say we've already taken a couple breaks during the segment. I think uh, perhaps we just take like a twenty-minute break, just run some some dead air for a while, and we can look it up ourselves.
2: What we so if Ryan does indeed do this to save him some time, why don't we say? in the 2000s just look at all the head coaches in the 2000 even then I mean it's maybe since 2010 okay save him a little time that gives us because that, that reflects more of a current era for football how do how does changing your head coach Typically, what can you expect for in terms of wins and losses? Because yes, you, you change head coaches if you don't have enough wins, so it's easy to improve the next year in your win total in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of teams that also just hit the reset button altogether. Carolina, how many games Carolina win last year?
1: Carolina Panthers, not yeah. many. They'll probably win fewer this year though, because right. they, you know, they they are they really tore it down.
2: Yeah, exactly. Now I'm curious. It's they were five. They were five and eleven. Okay, we watch yeah. all these things, and I, I remember all the stuff, all these teams, and you don't, I don't think to remember the actual wins and loss. I look up records so many times because you don't think about teams with their bottom-line win and loss records when you start getting in the weeds with them. 5-11, and 11, confirmed. Yeah, I, I mean, 5-11 <laughs> and, 11, five and 11 would be a very successful season for Carolina right
1: now with where they are. God, the two of us, we're just terrible researchers. How many games did the Lions win? They yeah. only won they were three twelve and one. I know yeah. that for a yeah. fact. I know they were three, four and one with Stafford because I was I was uh, campaigning for Matthew Stafford as the sub five hundred MVP of the league before I got I'm hurt. gonna
2: give you one more just to see if I can trip you up. Um, what would you guess Minnesota's record was? Answer quickly. was ten and six, but that is yeah, just a you. guess. Yeah. yeah I, I, see, I, well, I thought theirs would be misleading because I think they were ten and four and then they had a meaningless week 17 game. So, really, they yep. played more like an 11 and 5 type of team all year. And 11 and 5, 10 6 doesn't feel like a big difference, except the, in some ways it sort of does. Because when I hear 10 and 6, I think wild card team. And 11 and 5, you kind of instinctively think division winner, even though I don't know if it goes that way very consistently.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Vikings are a little bit tricky as well because uh, the Packers, of course, won 13 games last year, as I have been reminded all week since. Uh... <laughs> Since writing a not even that negative uh, scouting report on their team, but just sort of pointing out maybe they they weren't thirteen win caliber. Maybe that wouldn't have repeated itself if uh, if they replayed that entire season. But uh, uh, yeah, they were thirteen and three. So Vikings could have been uh, Vikings could have been twelve and four. And
2: are, are Packer fans being vicious to you? Because I will admit I have never met a disrespectful Packer fan. Is that true or are you being sarcastic? No, I'm I'm not. I mean I could see why that would sound sarcastic to they someone are, that has yeah. met one, but I I've always had great interactions with Packer fans. They are enthusiastic.
1: Well How's that's, that?
2: okay, that's fandom, but it's like <laughs> you know, let's just call a spade a spade. If you get an email from a an Eagles fan or a Raiders fan, certainly, or maybe even a Jets fan. And it's a negative email. You can expect there's going to be some some oomph behind that. It's, it's, they're going to pack a punch. I I don't think
1: Green Bay is one of those teams. One thing I've found about Packers fans is that they uh, they like the Packers. Yeah, and that's and that's a common
2: trait with a lot of teams and their fans.
1: Yeah. Actually, the Mm -hmm. teams I just mentioned, the fans don't always seem to like the team. (laughs) That's that's actually a good point. There are some people who uh, uh, just like to be miserable with this stuff. Jets fans. Yeah.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for...
1: Or the perfect
0: table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico, now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode.
2: It is. I think he
0: went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time.
1: All right, Uh, Bengals. We still have to do the defensive side of the ball here for the Bengals. Uh, Look, they have clearly invested in athleticism at the linebacker position. They have uh, pretty heavily revamped the cornerbacking group that they have. Uh, Trey Wayne's in dealing with some injury stuff right now. Uh, They go and get Mackenzie Alexander to go along with William Jackson. I mean, are are they building this more like a uh, Lou Anarumo Defense here, or is this just kind of a matter of they 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 just didn't have the talent, and now they are they are just trying to get some sort of you know uh, baseline league capable guys here. At, at, well, linebacker, it was they didn't have the talent. I mean, I
2: I was almost a little offended that I didn't get a call and a chance to try out for their <laughs> linebacker unit last season. It's so there was a plenty there was plenty of room to get better there. Um, cornerback, maybe a little bit of a different story. You know, they had some injuries last year, they replaced some guys, kind of just a change of an era. You know, Trey Wayne's, Gary, that injury he has, it, I've heard reports that he might not play this year, right? he's gonna be out for a while. If that's the case, that's a big deal. The, Trey Wayne's was their kind of their hallmark acquisition this offseason. Now they still yeah. have William Jackson. Um, Alexander Mackenzie Alexander to me is strictly a slot guy, mm-hmm. which raises the question: Who's your number two corners? Darius Phillips maybe the outside guy, and he's been more of a slot guy too. I want to say, you know, corners a problem for them. They're a zone based defense, um, so that helps. But you know, their their safeties—they uh, they did sign Von Bell, yeah—and so Sean Williams I think got hurt too lately, and. The Von Bell acquisition becomes more important than if Sean. I'm going to make sure Sean Williams is indeed hurt. You know, it's not a great secondary overall. If we're just being honest, it's it might be better than it was a year ago, and it's going the right direction. What this team needs is this defensive line to play at a very high level. And this defensive line, for several years now, has been given its level of talent. It's been a very
1: uh, inconsistent group. All right, with that. I think it's time for projections. Any any final arguments before we move on to projections?
2: No, it looks like Sean Williams. It looks like report could be he'll be back before the opener. So training camp injury, which is good news. That's that's nice. And they might wind up playing. You know, they did play a little more dime as well last year. They've always been a nickel defense, but it's a different coaching staff now. They played some dime. So a guy like Sean Williams could be a big deal. Last note on the Bengals end. I I would be very surprised if Josh Bynes does not wind up becoming their starting linebacker. Maybe their every-down linebacker. He's slated for the second team. Yeah, because Josh Bynes is one of those guys, every team signs him, and they wind up realizing, man, for one, this guy runs better than we thought he would, and for two, he knows what the hell he's doing out there. He's a smart, disciplined player He's been a good player everywhere he's gone, and for whatever reason, he's always having to go somewhere else. He's not being brought back. Josh Bynes, I, I, I bet you, will be their most stable linebacker in twenty twenty, just because he's done that so many times before. If you're a
1: Bengals fan, do you feel good about that, or is that discouraging?
2: Um, I mean it in a positive. I mean it in a positive way. Okay. I don't mean it in the way like, oh, they're going to have to fall back on Josh Bynes. I mean it in the way that. Uh, yeah, Bynes probably does get on the field if, so- if something negative happens, but he so s- stabilizes things, he's so reliable that it's once he's in there, you forgot there was ever a problem to begin with. He doesn't change everything. He's not going to light the
1: world on fire. He's just going to solve your problems. Now, the projections. Are <laughs> Are you? Are you? Uh, I'm picking the Ravens to win this division. Are you also picking the Ravens? No, I got the Bengals because they got Josh Bynes. <laughs> And then uh, after the Bengals, I guess I'd probably
2: go. You have to go. You have to project Baltimore one. Still, it's going to be hard for them to be at the level they were last year. I mean, what were fourteen and two, top three, both sides of the ball? Um, but that doesn't. You know, they could fall to twelve and four and still be a Super Bowl contender. So yeah, I'm going. I'm going Baltimore one. Who do we have at two? We don't have to agree necessarily, but who's who's two?
1: Uh, I'm going Pittsburgh too. I do want to make this point about Pittsburgh and, and you mentioned, you know, does Baltimore fall <laughs> off? They, they rank so high. Uh, I always look at takeaways year to year and, and takeaways. Look, they're, they're loosely related to pressure. Uh, it's not purely a luck uh, category, but luck does have a lot to do with it. And I actually I did this last year with the Bears. And early in the season, I pointed out the Bears led the league with 36 takeaways in 2018, and they probably couldn't do that again. Even though they do have a good group, they fall they fell all the way to 22nd in the league with 19. If you look back, uh, our StatSync uh, data only goes back to 1995. But there's in that span, going back to 1995, there's never been a team lead the league in takeaways back-to-back year. And in fact, only one team led the league and then finished top five. Next year, and that was, of course, as we all know, the the 2010 Giants who tied for fifth <laughs> after leading in. Uh, sorry, that's the 2011 Giants tied for fifth after yeah. leading uh, in the 2010 season. So that uh, 2011 Giants team won the Super Bowl that year too. They they did. So they were the one success story here uh, as far as takeaway consistency. So that's my way of saying Steelers led the league with 38 takeaways last year they are probably going to get a fair amount of takeaways they're probably not going to get 38 and i feel like they just kind of boy if you had that kind of defensive season with their 2018 team you really had something there you you had a you had a you know 13 win season there i think the takeaways go away i think the defense goes from uh you know one or two best in the league to maybe the fifth or sixth best in the league and Uh, i think that's enough that they don't catch baltimore even if uh ben roethlisberger does sort of figure it out with this group of receivers
2: i think that's fair i mean I, i i and i know you're not saying this but i always feel like someone needs to just have throw caution here and say you know what they did in 2019 for takeaways is is not relevant directly to 2020 it's totally two separate things but your point has a lot of history behind it and it's it's a good one is you let's put it maybe we can agree on it this way your plan can't be to win the just to force a lot of turnovers that can you can't be reliant on that you you have to that's a turnover is a byproduct of how you play or it is an effect but all you can really control is the cause how do we play what do we do and trust that the turnovers take care of themselves saying we we're, we're going to force a lot of turnovers that's almost the equivalent of going in and, and like all right guys our plan today is to score a lot of touchdowns that's that doesn't that's not your plan you have to play at a certain level I agree with that yes so and I, I, anyone would because it's not like an opinion that we're just stating the the logic of it but it's easy to forget that these you know you don't want to analyze the results the results are just the results the process is good I think Pittsburgh's process, will be excellent this season. We didn't talk about their D-line, but it's it's up there. It's one of the, the better defensive lines in the NFL still. We do like their secondary a lot. This has a chance to be one of the—I don't know where, where they'll rank, but this has a chance to be one of the five or six best defenses in the NFL, and I think that's how this team will have to play. I don't think they have an offense that can score 30 a game, or at least they, they can score 30 on any given game, but I don't think they can score 30 a
1: game week in and week out. That's a big difference. I will say— I thought Lamar Jackson's worst game of, of 2019 was when he went to Pittsburgh. Uh, I want to say it was probably like early October last year. Week, and then, of course, it was week
2: five. I remember because I watched the film late, late Friday night with my nephew who was in town. And my nephew kept interjecting about, hey, you know, hey, watch this, watch that. And he's he's 11 years He's 12 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and he yep. kept saying, watch. Now, hold on. Pause it. Watch number eight. Watch number eight. I kept saying, you mean the court Lamar Jackson, <laughs> the quarterback? So yeah. Anyway, he it was week, it was
1: week five. It was in October. Week five. We just gotten back from Denny's. Oh man. Well, they didn't get a uh, second shot because he did not play the week seventeen game, which was meaningless for the Ravens. It, it was RG three in that game. So
2: yeah, and um, the Ravens still won that contest, and the Steelers yep. needed that game. Jackson uh, the, the, played poorly against Pittsburgh that day. You're right. It was his, yeah. was his last time he threw interceptions. He had three in that game. I want to say they were all his fault to some degree. There was one that was a tremendous player. I forget who made it, uh, but he didn't have any, any turnovers hardly at all after that, the rest of the way. And I, if you'd said after that game that hey this Jackson's going to win MVP, that would have, that would not have made sense at the time.
1: Correct. Yeah. Look, by mid season, he was not the league MVP. He was having a really good season. And then he just took off in the second half and, and very rightfully, uh, ran away with the award. Uh, yeah, I have I have Pittsburgh in front of Cleveland. I don't know. I I don't trust that Cleveland defense, uh, and I don't trust that the offense is gonna completely take off. And and uh, I I was gonna say get back to the level they played at in 2018, but that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't that high a level. Yeah,
2: they're not going in this year saying that's that's our you know let's climb that 2018 mountain. It's a yeah. team in transition. It's a team in transition for sure. And I just hope that. Uh, I mean, honestly, you hope ownership understands that in this case because it's it's been a pretty quick trigger finger with the Haslam family and changing leadership with that organization, changing coaches – because the expectation and kind of the natural sentiment is going to be new young offensive coach, Kevin Stefanski. Wow, is he Matt Nagy? Is he Sean McVay? Is he Matt LaFleur? And it's Baker Mayfield. We have high expectations for Mayfield because he's on TV on these commercials now. It's a team in transition. If they go 9-7, and that's a tremendous step forward, and I think that's going to be a tall order for them, even though I do think they're
1: doing it the right way and they're going in the right direction as a franchise non-lamar jackson's who's your uh who who are you circling for the mvp race
2: well um i mean could roethlisberger get in the conversation he he has to he'll be the philip rivers deal where he's going to get labeled comeback player of the year again that's probably true yep and there have been he's never won an mvp right correct has he come close? I mean, there's been years that I'm
1: sure he's belonged in the discussion. I don't remember him ever being really heavily in this in the discussion. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a uh, a Russell Wilson type thing where he's never gotten a vote for it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Russell Wilson has not... Uh... <laughs> isn't that funny? I mean, not not funny, but like, isn't that just
1: bizarre? Yeah. You could win a lot of bar bets on that trivia question with the Russell Wilson one. Well, not anymore because... You just know that you now that now that we've said it it has reached a uh, threshold that everyone knows it but uh, yeah uh, yeah I mean it's just you know it's about when did you have your best season oh you had your best season when uh, you know whatever Tom Brady threw 50 touchdowns and and the Patriots went 16 and oh well no one's gonna vote for you there, there's only that, that's the thing with the the NFL MVP voting it, everyone votes for one guy it's not like the uh, you know the MLB style where you yeah. fill out your ballot with 10. I know our friend Peter King,
2: I think, is trying to get that changed. Yeah, I know he has been in his columns.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it would be neat. I, I think they should change it, but uh, I guess I really don't feel that strongly about it anyway. Okay.
2: Um, so non-Lamar non Jackson MVP uh, may feel like, and obviously if they do well, he'll be in that conversation. But let's go non-quarterback. Who would be the non-quarterback?
1: I don't know. I mean, are you talking about, like, T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett? I, I would probably take Watt before I took Garrett in that uh, in that race. If if T.J.'s brother didn't get it any of those years, T.J.'s not going to get it. Not because he wouldn't deserve it, but yeah. voters aren't going to give it to a defensive guy. Uh, that's, that's... I mean, Odell is probably the best non-quarterback offensive player in the division.
2: Yep. That's probably correct. Um you know, one thing, it's not going to get it, but kind of along the lines of the Mitch Morse Mitch conversation Morse. a few weeks who's, ago. Who gets
1: the Mitch Morse award the, for the uh, AFC the, North?
2: Um, well, I, I, Ronnie, I want to say Ronnie Stanley is is an excellent tackle. So is Orlando Brown at right tackle, by the mm-hmm. way. Yep. Now, I don't think the nature of Baltimore's scheme is not as dependent on the O-line as other schemes because so much of what Baltimore does with the run game hinges on misdirection, deception, making defenders be wrong when they're covering air, so to speak. No run play works if your left tackle doesn't block his guy, though, so let's not take this too far. Um, So I'm not sure you could say that Stanley is an MVP for lineman caliber type deal, but... uh, The point I want to make is Baltimore often, even though they're this team that puts all these tight ends on the field, all these fullbacks, you'd think they'd have a passing game that derives from that. And they kind of do, but they often block with five in the passing game. They get five eligibles out in routes, which is not at all how you would guess a team like theirs plays. And I don't know if the numbers reflect that. I know all I know is there are every week there were significant snaps. Where it was very clear that that they were pass protecting with just five, and they felt fine doing that. That's a very good commentary on Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown at offensive tackle. You
1: know, Joe Burrow is eighty to one. Only eighty to one. That's that's for a for a rookie quarterback. I mean, what? Has, what if when's they, the last time a rookie won the MVP? I don't think ever. Right in the NFL. Is that true? Ichiro, Fred Lynn. Did Ichiro win it one
2: year? Did Ichiro get enough bunts and get on base to win the MVP one year?
1: Ichiro won it, right? Are are you are you not an Ichiro guy?
2: No, I I am. I just I remember at the time when he won (laughs) it, I I, I, he was just uh, if Ichiro. sorry, Sorry, maybe I am exposing my baseball ignorance here and if I am I guess the baseball fans are welcome to tell me there's an unwritten rule not to expose your baseball ignorance with baseball fans I guess but Mm -hmm. Ichiro if he were a quarterback he would have run a a spread offense and his average yards per completion would have been like four (laughs) completion percentage 75
1: dink and dunk offense it's fair I'll give you that all right but but then he also like played a good linebacker on the other side I mean that's that's uh you know that's a sport unlike these other sports that's a sport where you got to play offense and defense. It's yeah, every tough. every
2: so often you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I honestly, I mean, can I? I'll say I was I've been wanting to tweet this, but it never comes out right in a tweet. This whole baseball unwritten rules thing, which has kind of been a conversation, because I guess who was the guy that hit a three zero? Fernando ball? Tatis Junior. Yeah, not allowed to swing if it's three zero. You know this doesn't happen in other sports. The difference is in baseball there's so much idle time and standing around and just think of how you behave anytime you got just time on your hands you just stand there thinking about stuff and out of i don't want to say it's out of boredom because i'm sure the guys are more dialed in than that but there's plenty of time to just kind of sit around and think up stuff and when you think of stuff it's much easier to find slights and feel like you've been rubbed the wrong way you know football doesn't have this garbage of unwritten rules very much because you're on to the next play doing something
1: i think that's i think that's fair uh whenever i think of unwritten rules in baseball the closest thing i can think of in the nfl is you remember the old uh, shiano uh rushing the uh the kneel down i do <laughs> yeah, and that was that's been
2: highly debated within the league still some coaches feel like yeah you don't do that i was fine with that because if you force the fumble on the exchange which is i think what they were trying to do they were diving at the a gaps they not not every guy if i have to go back and look at that play but not every guy was diving at his offensive lineman. The guys in the A gaps were because that's the only chance you'd have it going and getting the ball. I could be wrong. There were there are coaches in the league
1: that hated that. I will say, uh, in response to that thing that happened seven years ago, what the NFL has to do, kind of like you know how MLB does intentional walks. They don't make you throw. Uh, you might not know this. They, they don't make you throw four pitches to intentionally walk a guy. You can just say you're intentionally walking a guy. And right. Can, that's a you, recent can, rule adjustment. Yep. You you can skip the theatrics, the excitement of the, uh, of the intentional walk. The NFL should, just to avoid any of that, and frankly to avoid the just dullness of kneel down, wait 40 seconds, kneel down, just say uh, the offense should have a chance to basically just say we're not going to run a play, run forty seconds off the clock. We're not going to run a play. The other team has timeouts; they can use a timeout to uh, to prevent that forty second runoff. But mm-hmm. just just do it that way. That's all. It move would, on with it our would lives. speed
2: up games for sure. You'd only be able to do it in the fourth quarter because um, I think offenses would want the chance to fake the kneel down in the first half. I think you could do it either way. Well, no, but if you're an offense, what would be your what what would be your motivation for that?
1: You might not be motivated to do in the in okay. The first half. All right, I guess so. So, yeah. It's it's up to uh, it's freedom of choice at that point. So it's,
2: it's not a bad idea. I could see it also though being a slippery slope. It's like, well, okay, if that play is not important enough, we can just declare <laughs> we're skipping it. What else? What do we declare we're skipping <laughs> every,
1: next? Every every team just show up with like ten plays they want to run over the course of uh, twenty minutes, and let's let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, Burrow we yet. So Joe Burrow probably going to win MVP. Uh, eighty to <laughs> I, I just want to say eighty to one is is uh, that's surprisingly uh, short odds for for a rookie. And I don't know. I I tried to look for a rookie NFL MVP and I didn't find one. Okay, uh, Brian Taylor has to has to join us or something. Uh, defensive Player of the Year. Or, or are you a uh, are you a T.J. Watt guy? Are you a Miles Garrett guy? Uh, I guess uh, Minka Fitzpatrick you could put in that conversation. One of the yeah, he'll one, have to have like seven or eight interceptions for anyone yeah. to appreciate him, though. Can 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 the can the Ravens get in on? it? I mean, Stephon Gilmore won it a year ago. Can a Marlon Humphrey uh, rise to that level this year? Possibly. I I liked him a lot last season. I've
2: heard mixed reviews within the league on him, which baffles me because I think he's an outstanding yeah? corner, and I don't know how you could see it differently. But people I respect a lot. Do see it differently with him, but when he moved to the slot last season, which he did after Marcus Peters came along, that was uh, he was outstanding there, and he is a big, strong, physical cornerback, which you don't get in the slot a whole lot. Now, I don't know if he'll do that this year because Jimmy Smith is moving from right corner to probably number three safety. And the number three safety role is a big role for them. That's what Brandon Carr played last year, and that's the guy who covers tight ends man to man. So, and Jimmy Smith, I think, is, is suited for that. I think he's going to do very well with that. Assuming what what will be different is Smith will now have to play inside because that's where tight ends are going to line up. And Jimmy Smith has always played not just outside but on the right side because I don't—he's not a comfortable corner in other spots. So he has to now become a comfortable corner. They'll probably play more man coverage because of that. Because if most most likely Smith's discomfort stems from some of the zone reads, I would guess. I don't know that, but that's the likely answer. So anyway, you know, I don't know if Humphrey will play inside this year. because The Ravens are probably going to need a slot corner. Maybe it's Tavon Young if he's healthy. Humphrey's their best player, but that's going to be hard for people to fully appreciate him as well. Because with the Patriots, the dis- the dis- you don't hear people extolling New England's pass rush and blitzes and go, oh, they're coming after him, even though the Patriots do that probably more than you guess, that's guess, that's, if they, they don't do it a lot. Baltimore, that's what's going to be the story. If you put on the film, not put on the film, you watch them on TV, the announcer's going to talk about all the blitzing. They're going to talk a little bit about Matt Judon. They'll probably talk a lot about Calais Campbell if he's playing well. You don't think of Baltimore as a
1: coverage-oriented defense, but that's what you're asking about. All right. That's going to be a wrap for the show. I do just want to mention, and I missed it. I tried to screen grab it, and I was too slow. But uh, for a good five... Oh, did we did we pick a defensive guy, though? We don't think we settled one. I think the answer is TJ Watt. Okay. Well, I also think TJ Watt. Now, now, let me make my point about uh, uh, what I just missed out on here. Uh, you were... I don't think I've ever seen you sit like that before during our show, where we have the video conference here going, we have Zoom going, and you were you were kind of you were very close to your camera, but you were sort of looking off to the side, so it was like a profile, and you were just the light was hitting you perfectly. It was a it was a uh, it was I don't know it was it was a work of art there. It was, and I tried to screenwrite, I I couldn't get it in time. I we we have the nice scene with the uh, with the pine trees in the in the background, and
2: Yep, that's actually. That is one single pine tree. Because I live in the city here, so there aren't a lot of pine trees. The mountains are not far from here, but the guy who owned this house before us planted a Christmas tree for his son 45 years ago and never cut it down. So now we have a Christmas tree that it's easily 40 feet tall. Easily, it's huge. And I've been told the tree actually is illegal. Like it's not. (laughs) If someone took an issue with it, they got to cut it down. It's not, you know uh it's not natural to this area it's not an indigent tree i would not have a
1: case wow but it I, I, blocks I did the it.
2: neighbor's house and so we both yep. the neighbor and i you know we both appreciate it
1: yeah no it's it's very nice i i've enjoyed that tree for years uh and very good news shelby uh royston our producer just chimed in here that he is video recording he Is so so he's got this he's got this shot
2: well, I've, I forget that the camera's on, so I've been sitting off to the side, and I look up, and I see an empty spot of my window behind me, and I realize I have not been on camera for you. Even though we do this to build a rapport and look at each other when we're talking, thinking that makes us a better communicator, I don't actually look at you when you're talking. I look no.
1: out. No, no, no. We, uh, I mean, we might as well just do this independently and then have Shelby patch it together. and Same chemistry, but...
2: Yeah, uh, especially if we're going to skip your intros again.
1: Yes. <laughs> That was, if I'm allowed that was, to just
2: start talking. I, that's, I, yeah, I would prefer that. And that I'll was just send
1: in my audio. Incredibly rude. <laughs> it was fine. All right, all right, Andy. That's that's a wrap. We got one more to go here in the division preview series. We already we already did the guessing game. It's the NFC North coming next week, and then uh, we'll have some season preview stuff after that. Sounds good. The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is B. Gary Gramling. Special thanks to Andy Benoit for joining me for this one. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's Executive Producer of Podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is Director of Editorial Projects and Product. Mark Ravick is Emeritus Editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Keep up with our entire lineup of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, work.